Christian, your voice still there? <laughs> that was a good one. Hey, uh, thanks for being with us today. Um, we are continuing in our series on the spiritual gifts. Um, if you have picked up a newspaper in recent months, even the last year, flipped on the news, you will have discovered that the unemployment rate in America is at an all-time low amongst many of the demographics across our culture. Um, our economy tends to be booming these days, and uh, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's great people have a job, jobs are secure, jobs are easy to find, you're seeing, um, you're seeing uh, wages going up, wages rising, all sorts of things, and so a rising tide really does lift all boats. Um, when you apply those same principles or those same uh, criteria to the church, the local church, whether it's our church or other churches all across the country, uh, what do we think about the rate of unemployment in the church? That is, people who are participating, involved, serving, helping carry the load of what happens in ministry in each of the local churches. Do you think that rate of unemployment is kind of like the rate of unemployment in the country today? Maybe right around hovering around 3% or so? Probably not. Maybe around 5%. Do you think maybe the local church? Maybe, maybe 20%? Maybe in some churches it's even 50%? Of people would say, you know, some church would say, you know what, we have that, many, that few people, maybe half our people who are helping out in some way or another. So we're in this series on spiritual gifts, and part of the goal of this series is, well, I'll give you the three goals of our series, is one, to educate us um, as believers as to what the spiritual gifts are, so we're learning what these spiritual gifts are. Um, and then the second goal is to discover, well, if these are the gifts that God has given his church, then what gifts has he given me? Um, because the Bible tells us, we're about to re read it here in just a moment, that each and every one of us who is a believer has been given at least a gift, if not more than one gift, uh, to be used in ministry to the local church. And then the third goal of the series is to motivate us to want to share uh, and to use the gifts that God has given us in our local church, in our local setting. Um, if you've missed any of the sermons that we've been, been listening to or been hearing for the last uh, month or so, uh, you can go to our website now, and you can, or actually to your iPhone, which I don't have one of those, some of you didn't know that. I have a Blackberry. Does anybody know that I have? And, and that's usually the reaction that I get. <clears throat> but anyhow, you can go to your iPhone, and on your iPhone, there's a little button that says podcast app, and you click on the podcast app, type in Hebrew Christian Church, type in Gordon Griffin, and you'll be able to locate those sermons. So you can go pull those now. We thank you to Carla Bradley for doing that. She pulled all that together for us, and so it made that much more um, easily accessible. Um, our text for today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to take the last of the list of Romans chapter 12 and the first spiritual gift in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to marry those two together, and that's going to be the two gifts that we covered today, the gifts of mercy and of wisdom. So let's stand to our feet and read together from God's Word, because this is where truth comes from. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and read about this second list of gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to the church. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 4. Here we go. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service. Y'all don't have that, do you? Just listen to me. It's okay. But the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all to every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, 
all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Um, so we want to start with the first item, or I'm sorry, the last item at the end of the Romans chapter 12 list, which is the gift of mercy, and then we'll get to wisdom, which is the first item in that list. So um, let's begin with the gift of mercy. Um, the, the gift of mercy at the end of Romans chapter 12 list, verse 8 says, the one who does acts of mercy do so with cheerfulness. Now, the gift of mercy can be defined as this. It can be defined as a supernatural tenderheartedness toward people that are hurting. A supernatural tenderheartedness toward people that are hurting, towards people that are in need. It means more than just feeling bad that somebody's hurting. It means more than just feeling sorry for people. It means having the supernatural ability to identify people who are hurting be able to walk by somebody and say, you know what, there's somebody who has a need in their life, and to be able to supernaturally detect that, to feel what they're feeling, to understand where they're coming from, but it means more than that. Because not only do you have the ability to identify that this person has need, but you also have the passion and the drive and the desire to want to do something about it. These are not the people who come alongside of us and say, you know what, if you have, a, if you have something that I can help you out with, just call me and let me know. These are not the kind of people who share their concern for us by saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to be praying for you. These are the kind of people who say, I see that you have a concern in your life. I see that you have your need in your life. Throw their arm around our shoulder and then say, and now I'm going to do something about it. These are the people with the gift of mercy. You say, well, what's the difference between the gift of helps, which we'll cover in a couple of weeks, and the gift of mercy? Well, the gift of helps is focused on a job. The gift of helps is focused on some task that needs to be performed in the local church that needs to be done, whereas the gift of mercy is focused on a person. It's focused on people. The gift of mercy uh, sees a person who has a need and says, I'm going to get involved in meeting the need of, not that job, but getting involved in meeting the need of that person. Jesus had this gift. Of course, Jesus had all the gifts, right? But uh, he had this gift, and so I want to show you one of the places in Scripture where he um, ex exercises this gift. Matthew 14 and verse 14 um, says that Jesus went ashore, and he saw a great big crowd, and he had compassion on them, but notice that he did not stop there. Verse 14 says, and he healed their sick. That is, Jesus saw that there were people in the crowd that had a need of, of physical healing, and Jesus did something about it. He didn't just feel bad that they had these physical needs, but he actually did something about it. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus runs into a widow woman whose only son had just died. That is, she lost all means of providing for herself. Remember, in the first century, women didn't work outside of the home. And so because of this, if a woman's a husband died and she had no sons to take care of her to go into the household with, then she was pretty much destitute. She was left to try and fend for herself, and that was very difficult for a woman back in the first century. And so this woman, has, she's a widow, so her husband's dead, and now her only son is dead. And so Jesus, coming alongside of her, recognizes with his spiritual gift of mercy that this is a person who has a need. This is a person who has a deep need in their life. And it says, verse 13, Luke chapter 7, that Jesus had compassion on her, and then he did something about her need. He resurrected her son back to life. He met the need. He fulfilled what it was that that lady needed in her life. Again, that's the gift of mercy. The point is that people who have the gift of mercy don't just feel something. It's not just people who feel something in their heart, who feel compassion for others, but they also are compelled to go and do something about it when they see that need. Sometimes using the gift of mercy means speaking words of love and encouragement. Sometimes using the gift of mercy means coming along somebody who's 
sad and weeping alongside of them like Job, his friends who sat on the dung heap with him alongside of him and cried with him. Sometimes the most effective thing that you can do, friends, is to sit there and cry with somebody. And someone with a gift of mercy is the kind of person that comes alongside you when you're needing to weep. Sometimes it can mean looking out for rejected people that no one else wants anything to do with. People that are maybe so obnoxious, perhaps so offensive in their, in their, in their candor or in their personality that the world just pushes them off. Well, the gift of mercy says, you know what, here's somebody who has a need in their life, somebody who's lonely because the way they are, and so I want to try and step in there, come around them with my arms, and love on them. A person with the gift of mercy has something like a supernatural antenna that they seem to be able to pick up on when people are hurting. The gift of mercy sometimes means doing things tangible for people, like putting clothes on their back or gas in their gas tank. For example, Dorcas in, the, in Acts chapter 9, it says, had a group of widows. And uh, Acts chapter 9 and verse 39, it says that she made tunics and other garments for these widows, these women who couldn't fend for themselves, made tunics and garments for them while she was with them. Whereas other people might walk by and not even notice somebody who's hurting, uh, this, the person with the gift of mercy is somebody like the Good Samaritan, right, who sees that person on the side of the road and says, you know what, this is somebody who's hurting, this is something going on in their life, they've got something going on there, and they feel compelled to stop and to help. Nobody, for a person with the gift of mercy, is too obnoxious or too offensive or too wounded or too negative. They are moved to want to help others. People with the gift of mercy would go hug a porcupine if that's what was required, right? That's the kind of people that people with the gift of mercy are. This is the dad who cries while he's spanking his children, right? Tears just rolling down his face. This is the kind of person who's watching a Disney movie or some sports flick, right? And they're just, they're crying because they can feel the hurt and the needs of the people in the movie. They're compelled like that. Um, they always seem to take the time to stop and to listen to other people who, are, who have got hurts in their life or who want to talk. They take time to help them. These people have a terrible time saying no to anybody who's asking them for help. And they drive others who don't have this gift, who are more project-oriented, absolutely bonkers, right? Because the person who's project-oriented is like, we got things to do, we got places to go, we got things we need to accomplish. And the person with the gift of mercy is going, hey, you know what, that stuff will get taken care of in a little bit. We got people who are hurting here. And so the Lord Jesus gives both of these people, thankfully, to the local church because they balance us out. You have the project-oriented people, people with the gifts of helps, who want to get some things done and get some things accomplished. Then we have people with the gift of mercy who say, hey, look, maybe we need to hit the hit the brake here for just a second, and meet the needs of the people around us. In Acts chapter 9, we have the account of the Apostle Paul getting saved. And before Paul was a Christian, um, if you know his story, he was a rabbi, and he was named Saul before he was named Paul. And when he was Saul, he was a rabbi. When he was Paul, he became the Apostle, the Christian. Now, when Paul was a rabbi, he was not a very happy camper. Um, he went around upset all the time. He was angry about the spread of this thing called Christianity all throughout Israel. In fact, he was so unhappy about it that he went and threw a whole bunch of Christians in jail. And when he got done throwing the Christians in jail in Jerusalem, he decided to go find some more Christians elsewhere. So he went to this place called Damascus, this city of Damascus, where he's going to go find some more Christians, arrest them, and throw them into jail. Well, while Paul was on his way up to Damascus, the story tells that there was a blinding light from heaven. Paul has an encounter with the risen Christ, and he turns his life completely around 360 degrees, becomes a believer, becomes a Christian, gives his life to Jesus. Well, then Paul goes on to Damascus, and he begins sharing Christ down the streets of Damascus, and he becomes so vocal about it, so brash about it, so bold about his new faith in Jesus, that he turns off a whole bunch of the locals, and they want to kill him. 
And so some of the people, the locals who knew Paul, who wanted to protect Paul, said, hey, look, we recognize that God's given you some gifts here. We recognize that you're a believer now, and so we think you need to get out of town. And so they lower Paul down in a basket over the city wall, and, uh, and, it's, and then Paul goes on from there back to Jerusalem. When he gets back to Jerusalem, I want you to see what happens. So here comes the guy formerly known as Saul, who was angry at Christians, back to Jerusalem, where he'd thrown a bunch of Christians in jail, and saying, hey, I'm, I'm one of you Christians now. I want you to see what happens when he shows back up in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 9, and verse 26. It says, and when Paul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but the disciples, get this, were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a believer. Do you see what's happening here? The apostle Peter saying, Paul, this is just some scam. Uh, this, is, this is just you trying to, trying to work your way in, weasel your way in to find out what our phone numbers are, where we worship on Sundays, where we live, so that when we all gather together for worship, here come the Jewish secret police and we all get hauled off to jail. Paul, that's what you're up to. I'm not buying it. I don't believe it. But look at verse 27. It says, but Barnabas, thank God for Barnabas. It says, Barnabas, with his gift of mercy, took him and brought him to the apostles and vouched for Paul, declaring to them on how the road to Damascus Paul indeed had seen the risen Christ. Paul put, Barnabas puts his own reputation on the line in order to vouch for Paul. Now think about this. Peter didn't want to have anything to do with Paul. Uh, the apostle John, the brother of Jesus, his wonderful gifts of love, didn't want to have anything to do Sorry, that was James, the brother of Jesus. John, one of the disciples of Jesus, with the great gifts of love, didn't want to have anything to do with the apostle Paul. But here comes Barnabas, who says, I know he's like a porcupine. <laughs> we all get that, right? And I know he's dangerous, because we're not really 100% sure that he's on our team yet or not. But Barnabas, with his gift of mercy, is compelled to say, I know he's obnoxious, I know it's, he's offensive, I know he's kind of rough around the edges. But there's something here that's worth developing. And Barnabas comes along, Paul, side Paul, with his gift of mercy and develops him. Have you ever thought about what would have happened if Paul had flamed out? If nobody had stepped up to vouch for him? If he had never been embraced into the family of God? If he had never been welcomed into the church? If, if, if the stiff arm that he got from Peter was... His, his, it was the same reaction he got from everybody else in the church. You suppose Paul's faith in Christ perhaps might have just gone down the tube? Can you imagine where Christianity would be today if that had happened? Thank God for Barnabas, right? And his gift of mercy. You say, Gordon, I follow what you're saying, but, I've, but if I've got this gift, what do I do with it? In other words, what difference does all this make to my life? Well, I got a couple ideas for you. Here at our church, every Sunday afternoon after church, one of our deacons, one of our elders, as well as other people who sign up to participate in this ministry, carry communion out to shut-ins in our church. People who have participated at Hebron through the years, perhaps they're older, uh, physically they're not able to get out to church anymore, and so there's a ministry that our elders, our deacons, and other members of our church carrying that communion out to people to sit in their homes, to sit in the nursing home with them, talk with them, meet with them, be the face of this church to them, love on them, spend time 
hearing their concerns, talking to them about what's happening here at Hebron to keep up that connection with them. And friends, this is a wonderful place for a person with the gift of mercy to serve in our church, to be one of those folks that carries communion out to the, shit, to the, to the sick and shut-ins in our community. Um, another way that you can participate and use your gift of mercy is through Acts. Um, I believe it was just this past Friday, right? There it is. So we had a, ho- a whole group of folks that went out to Acts this past Friday, and, uh, and, and Acts is a, a clothing and, and food pantry here in the Bogart area that connects with people all across Oconee and through um, Clark County. And so it's a way for people to come and be able to get physical needs that they need in their life. And so you can go over there and participate with that and help stock all the shelves and meet with some of the clients that are coming in. Again, these are wonderful opportunities and ways for you to use your gift of mercy through this local church. But here's the thing. The gift of mercy, remember, is not focused on a job. It's focused on people. Focused on people. And so don't wait for us to give you the green light to get plugged into some ministry. All you need to do, being that you've got this gift, is to raise your antenna, right? Your gift of mercy. Find the people who are hurting in our midst, whether it's somebody who's a shut-in, somebody who's in our, in our local community who needs help, or just somebody in our church who's grieving or going through a really rough patch, and reach out to them and start sharing your gift of mercy with them. We have people all across our congregation who have this gift. Thank God that we do. Now, if you have this gift, um, one of the things that happens is that you're compelled to want to help other people. And so when you're helping other people, it creates a drain in your own life. It creates a, a, a vacuum or a void. Things start, your tank starts to get a little, little less full, a little less full until you're kind of starting to run on empty. And the Bible says, uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12 and verse 8, it says, to use your gift of mercy with cheerfulness. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you arrived here this morning with your tanks a little bit empty and uh, running on somewhat of fumes. And maybe you just don't think you've got much more to give. Well, my encouragement would be to you over the course of the coming weeks to get on your knees, refuel while you're on your knees, because God gave you this gift he wants for you to have the fuel that you need to use this gift and to spend some time with him in quiet, allowing him to recharge it so that you have this gift and you can use it with cheerfulness. Um, I want to do something a little bit different today from any other sermon that I've ever preached. I want to stop right here in the middle and I want to pray. Can we do that? I want to pray for those of you this morning who have the gift of mercy and who feeling like, you know what, I'm running a little bit on empty today. I want to pray for you be able to receive the blessing and the filling of the Holy Spirit so that you can reactivate that gift here in our midst. Let's bow our heads together for a few moments. Would you pray with me? Most gracious God, we thank you for those among us whom you have supernaturally infused with an ability to see the hurting among us. Some of those, Lord, are hurting themselves, and they've got this gift, and they want to use it. And they want to use it cheerfully. God, they're just running on empty there. I ask, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, even in these moments as we pray, that, Lord, you would recharge their batteries, that you'd fill them back up, that you would just, just allow a well spring to just spring up inside of them. 
Lord, that they would just be filled to the brim with you running over with love and care for the people that they, they see all the time that they want to reach out to, but Lord, their tank's just a little dry. So Lord, we just ask you to recharge them today and that you would be a blessing through them to our local church family. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, thanks for letting me pray for you today. I want to jump to our next gift, and our next gift is the gift of wisdom. Again, it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We read it a few moments ago. The King James Version writes, uh, phrases that term, the, a word of wisdom. The English uh, Standard Version, which we read, calls it an utterance of wisdom. And the NIV translates the gift of wisdom as the ability to speak with wisdom. Um, all of us as Christians are called in the Scriptures to seek God's wisdom. That is to learn what God has to say and what he thinks about things. For example, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5 tells us to walk in wisdom toward those that are outsiders to the faith. God even says, hey, look, if you need wisdom, come and ask me for wisdom and I will make sure that you get it. James chapter 1 and verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. This is the first part of the definition that we're going to use here for the spiritual gift of wisdom. And that is, it is a God-given ability to discern, God, to discern the truths of the word of God. That is to know what God's opinion is to, make, to be able to hear what God's opinion is, to understand God's truth. That's what wisdom is. And that's different than just common wisdom. It is the ability to tap into what God thinks coming straight from God's word. Now, an example of this is King Solomon in the Old Testament. Um, he had become the new king. His father, David, had just passed. And so Solomon was stepping into that role. He was about ready to be, um, uh, uh, what do you call it when the king becomes a king? There you go, see? Um, so some of y'all get that one on the Scrabble word this, this week, okay? So, uh, so an example of this, um, King Solomon in the Old Testament. Um, in this story, Solomon's just been made king, and so God appears to him and says, hey, Solomon, you can have anything that you want. I, I, I'll grant you any of your wishes. Kind of like a little genie in the bottle moment here for him. And Solomon has a choice to make. What is it that I most desire? What is it that's going to be the most helpful to me in this new role that I've got as king? And it says there, 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 6, that Solomon said to the Lord, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, verse 7. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant Solomon king in place of my father David, although I am but just a little child. That is, I'm just a young guy here. And here's what I'm asking for, verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind with which I can govern your people that I may discern, there's our word, discern, what between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? So Solomon asked God for wisdom, not for common wisdom, not for sage advice. He said, God, I want the wisdom that comes from you, directly from you. I want to be able to discern the truth of your holy word. And the, and the Lord was tickle pink about this. And so he granted Solomon his wish, verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and verse 11, God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but because you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I'll give you the wisdom that you asked for. But, verse 13, I'll also give you the riches and I'll give you the honor so that no other king, Solomon, will ever be able to compare with you. 
So God gave Solomon the spiritual gift of wisdom, that is, a God-given ability to discern the truths of God's Word, to know what God thinks about certain situations, and to know, you know what's the right thing there. So that's the first part of the spiritual definition, is that it's, it's, it's being able to discern God's truth, but it's more than that. In addition to being able to discern God's truth, I've got a second slide here for you, it's also to be able to take that truth and relate it practically to circumstances that arrive in life. Um, we've met people uh, in our lives who can uh, calculate the square root, uh, you know, uh, many decimal places out, right? They, can, they know the, the, the value of pi to the ninth uh, decimal point. Um, but if you were to give them a hammer and some nails, they couldn't even put two boards together, right? And so in our, in our world, we would call that people who have book smarts and people who have street smarts. There you go. Somebody was, you were on it, yeah. Coronation, street smarts, y'all are on it today. That's good. All right, so we distinguish between these two people. I have book smarts and street smarts. And what I'm trying to say to you is that the gift of wisdom is the, is the, is the ability to have biblical street smarts. That is to take the Word of God and to apply those truths practically to everyday situations that people run into, to have discernment and sound judgment, and then be able to bring those answers, apply them to people's lives. Um, For example, Solomon had this gift of wisdom, and he was able to apply the truths of God practically to people's lives. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30 says, "...a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh." but envy makes the bones rot. Folks, I imagine that the New England Journal of Medicine would agree with that, right? Um, For, I thought that was a good line. I'm really excited about that one. Bombed out. Anyway, Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 3, he says, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. That is, Solomon's able to take the wisdom of God and apply it practically to your, your life and mine. Proverbs chapter Uh, 29 and verse 15, Solomon writes, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. How true that is. And there are more and more and more of these proverbs, of these sayings of wisdom from Solomon all through the Scriptures. Now there's one more component to this definition of wisdom. First, we understand it to be be able to discern the truths of God from God's Word, and then to be able to apply that practically to people's lives. But there's this other part about it, and that is that we, these people do this with uncommon perceptivity. That is that they're able to do this in a way that just surprises us. Like when we hear them actually say these words, it's kind of shocking to us to say, wow, I never thought of that before. And it hits us in a very uh, shocking way because they're so perceptive, they're so able to be able to dial in on what's the right thing. In 1 Kings chapter 3, we have an example of this. Uh, right after Sol- God grants Solomon the wisdom, uh, Solomon is presented with a situation where there are these two women. Uh, both of them have recently been pregnant, and there's a newborn child, but there's only one baby. Um, and because the baby of one of these two women has passed. And so one of the moms is trying to claim the other mom's baby for her own. Um, and so Solomon's kind of thrown into the mix of this and trying to figure out what to do. And so Solomon says, well, here's what we'll do. We'll take the baby and we'll cut it down the middle and we'll give each of you half, and then y'all can go on home. Well, one of the moms says, oh, fine with me. And the other mom screams out, no, no, don't do that. I'd rather that my baby be able to live with this other lady than to die here just to prove uh, so that I can have my half or whatever. And so Solomon says, verse 27, 1 Kings chapter 3, Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman. By no means put the baby to death, for she is his mother. 
So he's able through this little scenario that he creates to discern which of the two moms is really the child of this baby. And then verse 28, this is the reaction that I want you to see. And all of Israel heard the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. You see, Solomon, he didn't just have God's wisdom flowing through his veins. He wasn't just able to discern God's truth. It was more than that. He was also able to practically apply it, but it was even more than that. He had an uncommon perceptivity. He had an ability to to cut through all the confusion and to put his finger on exactly what the matter was and to bring closure out of chaos. He was uncommonly perceptive. And you know God has gifted certain Christians with an uncommon level of wisdom, and he's given them to the local church, people who in a board meeting or in a committee meeting who when the whole group is kind of stuck and we're stymied and we don't know what's the right decision or what's the right, we don't have clarity on a particular decision that we're trying to make, that a man or woman of God who has the voice of wisdom calmly speaks up and voices a perspective that by the time they're done speaking, the rest of us go, yeah, that's it. That's what we need to do. The man or woman of God who when you have been struggling with personal problem in your life and you've received advice from everybody, right? And it's just been oodles of stuff that's been saturating, and it's only kind of confusing you all the more as you hear all these different voices and opinions coming in to you. And then this man or woman of God with a gift of wisdom comes alongside of you and says something to you, and in an instant, you say, the light bulb goes off, and you have total clarity, and you say, that's so simple. Why didn't I think of that before? Well, again, that's the person with a gift of wisdom speaking into your situation in a very practical way with uncommon perceptivity. These people have the ability to just cut through it all, to put their finger on the heart of the matter, to bring closure out of confusion. James, the brother of Jesus, for example, was one of these. You can read in Acts chapter 15 when the heads of all the churches had gathered together for the first big council of all the Christians, and they were getting ready to decide on this big, giant theological matter. And there was days, perhaps even, of arguments being presented and different opinions being thrust back and forth. And finally, probably a lot of bickering, Paul was there, Barnabas was there, Peter was there. I mean, you got everybody there. And finally, James stands up and he said very calmly, verse 13, brothers, listen to me. And he proceeded to lay out for them a solution that was so clear and it was so simple. And the whole church, the whole council just came together and said, yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. I don't know why we didn't see this days ago, right? This is good. We'll do that. He brought closure out of confusion. These are people with a gift of wisdom. You say, Gordon, suppose I have this gift. Where do I use it? I mean, where do I take this gift and put it into practice? Well, the answer is everywhere. Everywhere. We need this gift everywhere, all around our church, in our individual lives, as well as in our committee meetings. I mean, every meeting needs people like this. Every committee needs people like this. Every board needs people like this. Every ministry team needs people like this. You should always look for one person who has the gift of wisdom and make sure that you invite that person into your ministry team, whether it's you're heading on a missions trip over to Europe someplace, or you're getting together for acts, or you're going to go do some sort of the children's Sunday school teachers are gathering together. You need to make sure there's always one person in all of those mixes that has the gift of wisdom, that has that uncanny ability, that uncommon ability to be able to put their finger on it and say, hey, look, this is what God thinks. Friends, there are people like that all over this church. And for those of you who have that gift, 
I mean, you know better than I do that that's not a gift that is your own. It's something that God gave you. It is a God-given ability. And you say, well, but Gordon, sometimes when I exercise that gift, I feel like people think I'm a know-it-all. God gave you the gift, friends, to use it. I mean, if somebody thinks you're a know-it-all, so be it. Maybe you do know it all, right? That was also another good line. I was really hoping y'all were going to... Anyway, I don't have the gift of joke telling. I don't think that's a spiritual gift. But anyway, hey, look, God gave you the gift to be used. So speak up in a few more meetings. Speak closure into confusion. Friends, remember the goal of this series. The goal of this series is to educate us so that we know what the spiritual gifts are. And these are gifts that God gives to each and every one of us as believers. He gives one, at least one, perhaps more, to us. Now the goal of this, gift, of this series is to make sure that we discover, well, what are the gifts that God's given to me? And then to motivate us, to motivate us to put those gifts into practice. Friends, may God help us to be employed for Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you've imparted to us, you've entrusted to us. God, we ask that through this series you would just continue to help light bulbs go off, that we would see how you have uniquely equipped us, gifted us, to serve you, to serve your church. Lord, we are... um, We are one body with many members. As we uh, remember your broken body today and your shed blood in these quiet moments, Holy Spirit, if we need a little prodding, you do that business. If we need some healing and some wholeness and some filling, Lord, you do that business. Lord, whichever it is, here we are, ready to receive from you. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.